Welcome to The Nourished Nervous System, an exploration of stress, the nervous system, and transformative self-care practices for parents and other humans through the lenses of Ayurveda, holistic coaching, somatic practices, herbs, and much, much more. I'm the host, Kristen Timchak, a holistic life coach, Ayurvedic educator, herbalist, and mother of a tiny human. Please join me for information, insight, deep thoughts, and small steps to help you nourish your nervous system. Hello, hello. Welcome and welcome back. I'm so, so happy that you're here today. Thanks for tuning in. So just a couple quick housekeeping things before we get into today's conversation. The first thing is that my question of the month this month is the same as last, last month because I'd like to give folks who maybe want to answer it but are feeling hesitant for whatever reasons another chance. And so if you don't know what this is, I'm just posing a question for the month that people can write to me, Kristen at nourishednervoussystem.com. You can also find me on, uh, you could DM me on Instagram at Nourish Nervous System and just answer the question. The question is, what does self-care currently look like for you? And I'll read the responses on the March 7th episode. So all responses need to be in by Monday, March 4th. And if it's feeling like you're wanting to answer the question, but it feels like an edge to be heard, I just really want to put out there that there are no wrong answers. There's absolutely no judgment. This is just a way for us to learn from each other. And yeah, self-care is so personal. So whatever it is for you is perfect for you and could also help somebody else who's you know trying to figure out what self-care is for them to give them some, some different ideas of ways to go about it. Okay, so I look forward to hearing from you. And just the second uh, housekeeping thing is just the friendly disclaimer that this podcast is purely for entertainment and educational purposes and should not be considered health or mental health advice. Anything said should not be taken as a replacement for medical, clinical, professional advice, diagnosis, or medical intervention. I'm so grateful to introduce today's guest. I'm so happy to have her here. Uh, her name is Matreya Wolf. I've known Matreya personally for a number of years. Our circles overlapped in the little town we lived in in California. And though I haven't spent tons of time with Matreya, the time and conversations we have had have always felt so deep and so real. She's just one of those people that lives her life from her authentic heart. And it just it shows. So... I'm really excited about this conversation. It was really lovely to reconnect with Maitreya and to have her share her wisdom with us here. So Maitreya is a wise woman, soul mentor, and musician whose allegiance is to embodying sovereignty with skill, tending the wild earth with honor, living the spiritual power of beauty, prioritizing the life of soul as inviolable, and supporting others to do the same with her teaching and art. 
Throughout the course of her extraordinary life journey, Maitreya has cultivated a multidimensional skill set related to evolving the soul as well as potent embodied wisdom, expansive compassion, and a grounded mythopoetic insight into the beautiful and harrowing journey of being human in a time of profound crisis and opportunity. It's through all of this interwoven magic that she now offers wisdom teaching, soul mentoring, public speaking, classes, workshops, ritual concerts, and other events. In everything she does, she aspires to help people learn how to transform pain into power so that they can live lives of greater presence, purpose, magic, wisdom, and passion in this most extraordinary time of human and planetary transformation. So if that's not beautiful, I don't know what is. Let's get into today's conversation. Welcome, Maitreya. I'm so, so happy to have you here. So good to be here. Great. So let's just begin by having you introduce yourself, what you do and, or I mean, what you do and what you are and a bit about your path to get here. All right. So hello, everyone. Thank you for chiming in. My name is Maitreya Wolf. I am a wisdom teacher, a life mentor, a tarot reader and a musician, and I help people learn how to transform the pain of their experiences into their power to live their purpose. I do that in a lot of different ways. My work is session-based and program-based. I work both in person and remotely with people all over the world, and I've been doing this work for about five years And it just continues to astonish me what the, what the human heart is capable of enduring and also what it is capable of recovering from and learning to thrive through. So the root of my philosophy in this work is what I call initiatory consciousness Because I have a deep, ancient relationship with that old power that initiation is in in the life of the world and the life of the human endeavor. And of course, as a modern American Westerner, initiation doesn't exist in our social matrix, which is not a culture. It's a society. It doesn't exist for us anymore. But through the course of my own journey... I realized that that principle of creation, that that evolutionary imperative of creation was inherent in the unfolding of life. And so I began to cultivate my own initiatory consciousness and my own initiatory lens that related to everything I went through, through the question of what deeper self is being called forth to meet this moment right now. And now I teach that to others and I teach them how to relate to their lives that way. I teach them how to have breakthroughs and then how to stabilize the breakthroughs so that they can live the transformation in a coherent and clear way. And I came to this path of teaching kind of by natural trajectory. It wasn't my original intention to be a teacher but it is 
definitely a natural attenuation. Um, I was a, I was a tattoo artist in my professional life previous to this in other eras of my being, I was a ritual tattoo artist for 15 years. I did music professionally for uh, about 10 years and always everything I did was, was rooted in what I've come to know is the old ways, the old ways, just a, an older, deeper way of relating to life and navigating through life. Like, you know, being in my um, tattoo apprenticeship and starting to work with people after I had graduated, this was, you know, 20, 20 some odd years ago. I remember clearly the first time that I realized that the context of the tattoo shop was actually antithetical to the imperatives of the endeavor, by which I mean that I was, you know, I was in my shop and the way we had our stations set up, we were, we were pretty close together and I was working on a young woman, giving her a tattoo on the lower back and tattoos on the lower back are spectacularly painful. And she was having a really hard time. She was trying not to cry. She was trying not to freak out, essentially. And <laughs> the guys on in the stations on either side of me were having a heated debate argument across my head. And I was trying to take care of this young woman with this crazy music playing. And I was getting really stressed. And she was getting really stressed. And I just had this moment of clarity that I was, this was not the conducive environment for what's trying to happen through mm. this process. This is not good for me or for her or for the art or for the, the, the beauty that's trying to come through this transformative ancient initiatory ritual. So I actually stopped that session and I was like, you know, I'm going to stop us right now. And what I'd like to do is have you come back after hours in a couple of weeks when this is, when this is healed up and we'll be able to work by ourselves quietly and uh, finish the piece then. And I went home that afternoon and I just, something opened in me really clearly that I realized that this is an ancient ritual art and it needs a ritual context to be done. And well, so that was part of what really started to bring me into relationship with the old powers and with the with the initiatory path in a really distinct way. And that has progressed throughout the the course of my journey in more ways than I can count. And then um, how I came to be the teacher that I am now was that I entered into what I what I perceive as an incredibly long initiatory passage of 17 years. And the imperatives of that initiatory passage were really clear. Life was refining me from one way of being to a greater order of beauty so that I could live in service to this extraordinary moment that we're inside of. And no, no joke and, and no, you know, this is not vulnerable. It's just authentic. Like I had a lot of, dark shit to work out. I had a lot of dark stuff to work out. And so I went through a lot for a period of many, many years. I went through a lot of trauma, a lot of hardship, a lot of 
reckoning with the realities of who I was and how I lived and, you know, getting through all of the distortions and all of the, all of the mechanisms and strategies and everything, getting through all of that to the core of my being, which is beauty and love was a huge project. It was a huge project and it was not easy and it taught me everything that I know and now teach through and about, about trauma and trauma recovery and regulating the nervous system so that you can live from a place of balance and resource so that you can embody your purpose so that you can give your gifts so that you can participate in the life of the world in a life-giving way. You know, I had to learn it fiber by fiber through the course of my own journey. So now I teach it Mm. to others fiber by fiber in the course of theirs. And, you know, I teach everybody from people who are in states of utter devastation to people who are, you know, really pretty integrated and well and just want to go farther. I just meet my students where they are when they come to me and we approach the process differently based on where they are and what they're, what they're looking for and what they're capable of. But my deepest desire in this work is to support the healing and transformation of this world and our human endeavor into something more beautiful and life-giving for us all. Mm. That is so beautiful. Thank you so much, Maitreya. That's yeah. yeah. (laughs) Just, just a little, just a little bit of work for you to do. Just a, just a That's my jam, just a thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm going to come to the, come to the world cool. and like transform my whole ancestral lineage arc and <laughs> recalibrate the, you know, the, the arc of my own soul's compass so that I can live love and be in service in a good yeah. way and help out. <laughs> no biggie. <laughs> no biggie. <laughs> so you talked about, um, well, this is a question I ask all my guests and you talked about, you know, just the importance of regulating the nervous system. And so I'm curious, what does self-care currently look like for you right now in your life? Oh, it's interesting because I I have kind of a different relationship to self-care now than I ever did before Mm -hmm. because I've just come through what I consider to be the completion of this 17-year initiation. I just crossed over the threshold in the past five months. So before, before I was in, I was so often and so progressively and persistently in a state of complex post-traumatic stress from, from trauma and hardship and all the other stuff. And then about, it was 11 years ago now, I experienced kind of a systemic collapse. It was, it was a period of illness, which wasn't a specific illness. It was this compendium of like systemic failures in my body that completely grounded me, (laughs) laid me out for quite a few years. So, you know, up up to that point and through the period of that illness, self-care, self-care had a lot to do with what people generally believe self-care to be. It's like, you know, moving slowly, breathing deeply, making my life more quiet, letting go of stimulating foods and stimulating lifestyle choices and overwhelming lifestyle choices because I always lived a really high intensity life and 
you know, lots of baths, like baths, all baths, favorite thing ever. And, you know, lots of rest and nourishing food and all the, all the things that we classically think of self-care as. And then I, I've come to this place where I am right now. And I look at self-care from kind of a different lens, like the very pragmatic taking care of my 3D life Mm. on a functional level so that I feel more grounded, more secure, more resourced. And it's, it's not so much about the, the nervous system in the body at the way of, of pleasuring and nurturing the body. Like it used to be like it had to be and then was the completely legitimate undertaking at the time. It was, that's what was needed at the time. But, you know, right now, because I've spent the majority of my adult life in my mystical path and in this initiatory path for the past 17 years, which has included a lot of hardship and dysregulation. And I, I really didn't pay sufficient attention to my 3d life. I just, it was like, I would take care of it on a very functional level and then get back to the spirit work. And so now I come out and I'm like, my body's in a good way. My health is in a good way. My nervous system is in a good way. My mind is in a good way. And actually it's my 3D life that needs a lot of care. And and taking care of my 3D life at the same way, with this with the same, with the same reverence and tenderness that I used to care for my animal body is actually really incredibly nurturing for mm. me. And it still includes things like you know, a screen schedule and an eating schedule and pleasure practices. Like I, I'm, I have this uh, deep love of oil, <laughs> oil on my skin. So like when I start to feel depleted or dysregulated, I'm like, Oh, it's time for oil, you know, salt, salt oil thing in the shower or a bath with oil, or just like sit at the altar with the candles burning and just oil and love my body. Like, all of those pieces are still there, but self-care right now also looks like like getting the resources in order and getting the car fixed when that's what it's time to do and making sure the, you know, the bills are paid on time and making sure I'm nurturing my business, making sure I'm nurturing my relations. Like it's, it's gone from being very uh, animal body focused to being more whole life story focused Mm -hmm. yes that I love that yeah I love that because those things are self-care I think that's something that's one of the reasons that I asked this question to all my guests is because self-care is so different from all of us and depending on what your being is needing it's like lots of different things can be self-care and what self-care for one person is different for another. And what self-care at one part of our life is different at a different part of our life. So I love that like shift that you noticed and including those things as self-care. Because I also think when we, and maybe for someone like you who spends a lot of time in the spirit realm and in this like out of body sort of place, but it's like when those things when those ends aren't meeting up when those things aren't taking care of it creates a lot of it creates more stress so to be able to like take care of those worldly things and have that container so that you can do your deeper work makes a lot of sense to me 
Yeah, and I would say I'm I'm not a I'm not out of body when I go into my spirit place. I just I'm not I'm not relating to my life through the pragmatic. Mm. And I've really I've really built a lot of my life in the mystery and it's a very embodied practice. But you know, one of the ways this practically plays out with a lot of my students is that because of the circles I move in, I I relate with a lot of alternative culture people who are gorgeous gorgeous you know a lot like me just like gorgeous magical vibrant vital creative wild unique beautiful people that have a really hard time making a functional relationship with the 3d realities of the world Mm -hmm. and not knowing how to make that relationship and having an active resistance to it Mm-hmm. having a disdain for it actually adds to the stress, which makes it more difficult to embody the beauty of your being. Right. Whereas, you know, this is something that I've really, I've really had to surrender to it. I really have had to surrender to it. I keep having to surrender to it. That just like, if I actually just get over, get over my rebellion, which doesn't, make any significant difference to the thing. Anyway, if I get over my rebellion, if I get over my resistance and just, just do what needs to be done to take care of this aspect of my being, I'm actually going to be more grounded. I'm going to be more resourced. I'm going to be more at ease. I'm going to be more in joy. And I find that with my students as well. It's just like, I know this is not necessarily something that you want to do. It's not part of your creativity. It's you feel like it's not part of your soul's path or it's not right that it should exist. But what is the cost to you ultimately to resist it at this level that actually costs you a lot? Right. And you still have to do it anyway. Right. (laughs) Right. Because ultimately we are living in this world. Like unless unless you're going to what was it captain fantastic was that the movie where like the guy brings his family deep deep into the world yeah yeah i know the one and even they they end up coming out and being part of the world at some point so it's just like we are part of this world and i totally get that i think i when i was younger i also had lots of resistance to those things and now it's just like okay, cool. I'm just going to go get my car registered because it's annoying. I don't really want to have to do it, but I'll just do it. And then I don't have to think about it for another year and it's just done. And I'm, and I'm functioning in the world and I'm not getting pulled over with my car, not registered and having to deal with all of that hassle. So it's like, yeah, just, I totally, I totally hear that of those things that a lot of yeah, alternative lifestyle, creative folks can sort of rebel against that can be, yeah, that can just make life flow a little smoother and have, help us be a little bit more grounded in the things that we actually want to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm curious, so you've talked about this like 17 year initiatory period and I'm curious about like, did you, is it something that you like you looked at like now that you're out of it, you look back on it and are like, are like, Oh, that's what was going on. Or did you know it? Like while you were in it, what, how did that show up for you? Mm-hmm. Well, it began very distinctly with uh, trauma. 
mm-hmm. that was the culmination of a long drawn out drama that I had been immersed in for the course of a few years. And this was all around my Saturn return. So when I was 28, 29 and the, the trauma specifically happened when I was 29 and there was a death phase. There was a very distinct spiritual death where I went through something. And when it was over, I was just laying there. Like I failed. Mm. I failed. And this, the feeling of that was, oh, it was horrifying. And, and in the course of that experience, I did, my life was, was destroyed. My, my body was ravaged. My health was ravaged. My community relations were destroyed. I lost my career. I lost my, um, my martial arts practice and my school. I lost, I lost everything. I lost everything. And I, I went at that point into the underworld, which is not a framework that I had at the time, but it was so distinctly different than anything I had ever experienced before. And I've always been mystical. So I've always been attuned to that, but it was so distinctly different that I was like, everything has changed. And I, I was, I was at a point where I wanted to die. I wouldn't have done, done that to myself, but I, I, if I could have like zipped off my human suit and and just been like, okay, I didn't do that well. I'm done with that one. I would have done it at the time. And so I didn't do that. And, and what did come up was an opportunity to go do something pretty wild and strange to go join a horse caravan traveling across Mexico. And I grew up on horseback. So that was, that was a real draw for me. And, and it was, I remember thinking clearly this is either going to kill me or bring me back to life. And right now I'm fine with either. And I went to Mexico and I was on that caravan and it almost did kill me a number of times, but I found my way back to life through it, not through the caravan specifically, but I spent um, six weeks on a ranch outside of an indigenous village outside of San Cristobal alone with my horses and uh, two litters of dogs that I was raising. And in that time, I came all the way through the, the, the deep underworld piece of it, the underworld exile piece of it. And it was really clear that it was time to come back to the States and to keep endeavoring into the life journey. And how the initiation element itself became really frontal for me was that when this trauma happened, I was sitting with somebody one night and he asked my name and I said, Ishtar. He said, what? I said, Ishtar. He said, interesting. What does that mean? And I said, I don't know. Because it wasn't something I had chosen. (laughs) It just came out when he asked me. And I was like, I don't actually know. And I had to go home and look it up. And I realized that I learned that Ishtar is the name of an ancient goddess in the Sumerian Babylonian lineage 
and the same goddess as Inanna, which people are more familiar with. And one of her defining mythologies is her descent to the underworld, mm. her passage through seven gates to get to the mirror of herself in her sister. So Ishtar is the queen of heaven and earth, and she decides to go to the underworld to meet her sister, who she's never met before. And she passes through these seven gates and is stripped of all her regalia as she goes through the gates and then meets her sister and is annihilated in that meeting before she is brought back to life and then has to pass back through the seven gates and regain her regalia and reestablish herself in the daylight world as the queen of heaven and earth again after having become complete for having fully met the, the other side of her being. So that mythology became the guiding story of my journey. And, you know, the, the annihilation piece was the time, was the trauma and the time in Mexico. And then the resurrection piece was a long series of events after that. And now I would say I'm in the reestablishing my queendom on heaven and earth peace right now. And it was a knowing. It was a knowing, especially because there were times in the course of these 17 years when things that were happening were so outrageous and so consistent. Like there were many stretches of just like thing after thing after thing after thing after thing. That it was just it was just so obvious that this is some kind of curriculum. Like I had I had like that was the only empowering relationship I could make to it because it was either that or be a victim and and just be crushed by it. And th- so I chose the the most empowering perspective I could take, which was the initiatory perspective mm-hmm. of just like okay, what greater part of my being that is not alive and active and online and engaged in my life, what greater part of my being is capable of meeting this in a life-giving way right now. And I don't mean to say that like I did it perfect. I was just a shining star through all this stuff. Like I was, I was in rough waters a lot and a rough person because of it a lot, but I was devoted to the possibilities inside of my experiences and now in my school with my people that's what we work with Mm. that's what we work with it's like what is the invitation here what is the invitation here what greater part of your being is being called forward right now how can you bring that part forward? How can you stabilize the presence of that part so that you can live from that place? That is so beautiful. Wow. I love that. I love, I actually know the story of Inanna. I, it's been new to my world in the past year or so, but I did a mother circle facilitator training with Kimberly and Johnson and a part of it is this, it's like these eight sessions of kind of going into the motherhood journey and looking at it through a different lens. And the first session is about mother dive. And we t- t- we tell the story of Inanna and mm-hmm. it's like, uh, 
metaphor for the the journey of the initiation of giving birth and for a lot of women postpartum time can be that murky underworld deep dive kind of place and so mm-hmm. I I've become very familiar with the story I've listened to a few different uh tellings of it and I just got goosebumps when you I didn't know that Inanna was also Ishtar I've heard of Ishtar as well and so yeah when you said that I just got goosebumps and it's just yeah oh, nice yeah, Inanna um, was the city name for that goddess inside of the settlements, and Ishtar was the pastoral name for that goddess. Ah, the land land based people. Awesome. So it's gener- it's generally presented as if Inanna was Sumerian and Ishtar was Babylonian, but they were actually different names for the same being among different people at the same time. Okay. And then when the Babylonians came, they took it as Ishtar, but this is a tangent and we can wrap on that on our own time. (laughs) (laughs) So things in our world just seem to kind of be getting crazier and crazier. It feels like things are falling apart in a lot of ways. And so my question is how do we tend the temple when society feels like it's falling apart at the seams? Mm. Wow. There's, of course, whole worlds of ways to answer that. And I will say one of the things that I'm most present to lately is this concept of safety. I have the really interesting experience of having grown up in Boston, spent my summers in Arizona, in the outback of Arizona riding horses, and now having lived on the West Coast for about 25 years, and currently living in the Northwest, where there's there's this really interesting to me social attention to the concept of safety in a way that I personally perceive introduces a lot of handicaps to people's resilience and fortitude. Mm. That's a bit of a complex thing to unpack, but it's essentially like Of course, I believe that we should all be respectful of each other, honoring of each other, considerate of each other, and life, all life forms, the land where we live, everything. We should we should live in a in a righteous way. And live in a way that's life-giving, you know, and live in a way that that creates space for everybody to exist according to their true nature. And that's what should be, but what is is different. We're not there yet. We're in we're in a society in a social matrix and 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 an epoch in the human endeavor where we are environmentally imperiled. Our world is not well. Our planet is not well, and and we also, as people, as a species, are not very good at being here together which you know the the ghastly conditions of the middle east right now illustrate for us in glaring glaring relief it's like wow we're still we're still doing that we're still doing that we're still othering and warring and perpetuating perpetrating genocide and killing over ideas and we're still doing that. 
that's still a part of our reality. That's still a part of our new sphere and sphere, which is, you know, what Carl Jung would call the collective unconscious. I think of safety in relation to the realities of what the world is, not what it should be. And in that case, I think of safety as an inside job Mm. of, of an orientation that yes, there are my preferences and yes, there are the way that things should be, but what, what actually is and how do I meet what is from a place of ground? So that's thing one. And I, I work that a lot with my students. I work that a lot with my students because when we, take the onus for our wellness off of the external world, not to the, not to the degree of radical individuation or you make your own reality or these kind of things, but just where is my wellness within me? How do I tend this temple within me, regardless of what the world is doing? Then we start to cultivate our sovereignty and we start to cultivate our capacity to respond to the world. Well, because I look at this moment like this is our collective initiatory portal. Mm. The way we've been has run its course. It is not going to work anymore. Even if we weren't warring like idiots, even if we weren't, you know, just kind of generally disheveled as a species, even if, even if we were in a little better standing, like the industrial revolution alone, just the, the wake of industry and its effects on the planet itself. We're like, this doesn't work anymore. This does not work. And because I believe that because life's deepest imperative is towards beauty, the extraordinary derangement of the human condition at this point is untenable. It can't continue this way. For much longer, I believe that we're in our initiatory portal and life is like, okay, it's time to evolve into, into a greater refinement. So attending the temple in that lens, within the, within the containment of that lens, is about knowing what you need to be well so that you can participate in a life-giving way. Mm-hmm. And that's going to be different for everybody. Mm-hmm. It's going to be different for everybody. But for myself, and, you know, this is a lot of what I teach for my students, thing one is get yourself connected with the earth. Not just looking at it, not just appreciating its beauty, but really get yourself into deep relationship with the earth. Nest yourself as an animal into the family of life so that you have that resource to draw upon energetically so that you have those old powers and those deeper wisdoms and those greater beings to access for guidance about how to participate well. There are other things as well, like nurture your creative practice. I think creativity is one of the most healing and restorative things that the human animal can do, especially in times of stress, distress, fear, whatever creativity can come through. And it's hard, you know, it's hard because 
like the more collapsed you get into pain or struggle or fear or whatever, the harder it is to access your creativity. But that's actually when it's when it's the most restorative. Like two two things I always think about in terms of creativity as a as a life giving path are this and wondering about what music came out of that time and the woman she was talking to was like people weren't making music people weren't singing they were starving Mm. and I remember how like it gives me chills to think about it right now and I'm like I'm not surprised but oh how ghastly just how ghastly that that there could come such a time that this like most raucously creative and musical culture would just like not sing because of the hardship that they were experiencing and then on the other side like the other side of that coin is the balkan women's singing tradition where these eastern european women in particular created this wild primal haunting gorgeous music as their way to deal with the hardships of their lives as their way to deal with what they were enduring in their human experience. Mm. Neither is right or wrong. I just see these as crucial lights on the path mm-hmm. of you know the place where the creativity so completely collapses from destitution or the place where it arises in rebellion against the oppression. You know, neither one is good or bad. Neither one is right or wrong. It's just like, these are some ways. And I know that for myself as an artist of all kinds, as a musician and a visual artist and a dancer and a writer and a theater person, and all these other things, like life without creativity is like, whoa, <laughs> that just, that, that thought just is ghastly to me. So, you know, anywhere that there can be creativity in our journey is restorative. It's restorative. It's vivifying. It gives life space to move through us again. Another thing is just taking care of the body as well as possible. Eating good food and favoring it. Like I'm very present to what's happening to the Palestinian people right now because I have Palestinian friends. And I'm not casting judgment on anything. I'm just like I have Palestinian friends. So I'm very present to that aspect of it and that they have no food that they're starving they have no water they have no homes they have no they have nothing right now and they have no safety you know so it brings me into this place of Every meal I eat, everything I put in my mouth, not everything. <laughs> I would love to be that mindful. But, but when I eat, when I'm having my meals, I'm eating this food and I'm just so grateful for it because I know there is only this one world for us, for us humans. Like this is where we are. This is our home. This is our spot. This is where our thing is going down. So if that horrible thing can happen over there, it can happen anywhere so that might be my food that's not not there that might be my home that's not not there that might be my shower that doesn't turn on that might be my car that I can't drive because there's no gas that might be fill in the blank because there's no fill in the blank I'm just really super present to that and it doesn't bring me into a place of contraction it actually brings me into this place of really profound 
gratitude and savoring for what I do have, Mm. for what's here. And letting that savoring really animate me for how to participate in a life-giving way so that I'm so that I'm helping move the needle towards beauty. And this is also a lot of what, what we do in my school, my school of remembering and my my counseling work with people is just like, how can you be who you are right here, right now? in a way that is nurturing and life-giving and strengthening and fortifying and inspiring to the life of the world. That is so beautiful, Maitreya. I really love that. I love the crossover also in the work that we're both doing. And I talk a lot about uh, nourishing your nervous system as a way to cultivate resilience. And yeah. I talk about a lot of those things of what we put into our bodies of uh, tending your mind through meditation or breath work or different ways to like feed your mind and moving your body and um, tending your spirit and your creative spark. And all those things also help to complete stress responses. Like if, if you're in a place where you know, where there, where you're able to be creative, you're like, you can, that can complete a stress response and help you to manage the stress in your body to help cultivate more resilience. And I bring more of an Ayurvedic kind of lens into it all, but mm-hmm. yeah, I just, I just love that. The, I, I can't think of anything more important in the time we are in, in this world than for people to be nourished enough to be connected enough to the earth and to like themselves to be able to show up in the ways that this time on the planet is, is asking of us. And I really appreciate what you said like a lot earlier, just about like the reframe of thinking of not how things should be, or maybe even just like not holding on to the world that we even knew, you know, three years ago, five years ago, 10 years ago, but really finding the safety, finding the nourishment, finding the the creativity in the world we are in right now, because ultimately this is the world that we are in right now. And I think sometimes our, our world of like modern conveniences in our world of you know, Walmarts and Staples and Home Depots and all these things that can create this feeling of like sameness everywhere and sameness all the time are just mm. like these illusions and that everything's always changing. Like when you connect in with nature, you can see that everything is is changing. And so I think for us to, yeah, just just to accept that more, that that everything's always changing this is the world that we're in now. This is where we're at. And we have to like come alive to, to be in this place. Right. There's also the crucial aspect of joy. Yes. <laughs> joy, arbitrary joy. <laughs> this has come yeah. to be a really deep practice for me is like not waiting. And this comes into the, to the safety piece and the being with what is piece of just not waiting for, the external circumstances to provide my safety or my comfort 
or my confidence or my joy. Mm-hmm. Just, you know, and I'm of course speaking from a place of privilege and safety and comfort and confidence. So, you know, yeah. I might go through some tests later, like I have in the past, but I think about joy. I realized that joy is a really indispensable survival skill. A number of years ago when I was in one of these passages where I was just like, this is never going to stop. It's never going to get better. And I can't fucking handle it anymore. And I was like, okay, well, that's a choice point because I'm either going to stay or I'm going to go. And so I'm not going to go. So that choice is over. So I'm going to stay. And that means that I have to choose my orientation. I have to choose my orientation. Mm. I can either be miserable and victimized and scared and overwhelmed, all these things, or to feel those things is fine. I can either be, be led and run by those things, or I can find whatever beauty I can make contact with and I can cultivate arbitrary joy. Mm. And that choice point changed my life. It changed my life and it changes my students' lives on a regular basis because I think unfortunately (laughs) at this point this point in our journey all of this privilege makes us a bit whiny Mm -hmm. we're a bit we're a bit whiny we're a bit like privileged I mean we're just a bit like entitled you know entitled to have things go well when it's just like well you know things go all kinds of ways like you were just talking about like change is the constant and you do learn that in nature You learn that nature, like people have their, you know, a lot of people think of nature as like so beautiful and so gorgeous and like hummingbirds are a great example. Everybody's like magic and innocence and all this stuff. And I'm like, actually that cute thing that they're doing where they're like flying around, buzzing at each other, they're brawling for nectar and they will kill each other for it. Like that's, that's not just like some cute, sweet, sparkly thing. Like that's, that's them securing their resources (laughs) as much as it is them being in their totally magical flight. So there's a way that we get to decide. We get to decide. We get to choose our orientation regardless of the circumstances. Like one of my favorite, one of my favorite examples of this is from Viktor Frankl, who was a Holocaust survivor, who said, essentially, I'm going to paraphrase, um, but he said, essentially, I remember I remember the people who would walk through the bunkers giving away their last crust of bread to provide comfort for for the people that were suffering. And they were all suffering, of course. And he says essentially, like, I realized deeply at that moment that the one power, the one the one power, the one agency that can never, ever be taken from you is your power to choose your relationship to your circumstances. Mm. Yeah, that's beautiful. And so true. Every moment we get to make that choice, we get to choose how we tell our own story. So... You mentioned before the the school of remembering. Can you talk a little bit more about what what that is? 
Oh yeah, that's my very favorite thing. Um, well, among many favorite things, but that's one of my very favorite things. So the School of Remembering is a year-long program that weaves ritual practice based on the seasonal, lunar, and daily cycles with deep counsel as a method of growing someone's destiny. So... I align the school to the observation of the Celtic pagan wheel of the year, because that's my lineage, and the observation of the lunar cycles of the month, and the observation of the daily cycles of night to day. And through the course of all of these cycles, we're establishing different practices and different ritual maps that are organized around creating the space for the expression of somebody's dharma, their reason for being. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. So I love this school. I currently have two students in this school. It's new. Mm-hmm. And we are, we are exploring their deepest dreams and desires and what's in the way of embodying those dreams and desires and ritualizing the awakening process and the stabilization process of those dreams and desires through rooting into all of these different cycles. Mm. So cool. Yeah. It's a really special, special experience. And I teach people ritual craft. I teach people a huge swath of self-mastery practices and well-being practices and we have a really good time doing it so it's essentially the the big scale evolution of the work that I've been doing with others for the past five years since I started teaching awesome and is it something that this happens online or in person either I love to work in person and I'm here in the northwest I'm in Portland Oregon for now but I work with people from everywhere. I've worked with people from all over the world, but I work with mostly people in North America and Canada. And, um, you know, if they're somewhere else, we work remotely, of course, and there are options to come and spend time together if they want to, or if they want to bring me to where they are, but it happens in both contexts. Awesome. Cool. Um, so if somebody wants to, learn more about this or connect with you, learn more about you. Uh, what are some good ways to connect? You can go to my website, soulpowermentoring.com and schedule a consultation with me, which is the first link that you'll see on the front page there. It says uh, schedule a mentoring consultation here. And then we would just get on the phone and talk about what they're going through, what they're looking for and what they need. And I would sort out what I offer that I think would benefit them, or I would sort out who they might be better served by. But I love welcoming people into the aura of my temple. It's Mm. my, my joy and my pleasure to help people learn how to transform pain into power so that they can live their purpose and give their gifts and enjoy their journey more. Mm, love that awesome there's anything else that feels burning that feels 
need to be said, there's also space for that. Well, what's coming through now is coming through based on what I'm encountering a lot in my students right now. It's just to say that I know that things are crunchy right now. And you may be in a lot of pain. You may be in a lot of fear. You may be experiencing doubt or anxiety or all kinds of other things. But I just want to to tell you that you matter. You matter and you belong and what you carry within you matters. The beauty that exists within you matters. The violence that exists within you does not make you uniquely bad or unworthy of love or belonging or anything else. You have, you have something beautiful to bring into the world. You are something beautiful that is in the world. Your very presence here is that. You don't have to prove it. You just get to be it and enjoy it. Let yourself enjoy it. I think a lot when I, you know, when I talk about my work, it can be easy to get the get that unconscious impression that there should be a, an improvement, an improvement meaning, you know, implying that there's something that's not good enough right now. But I'm not I'm not looking to improve on anything in my work. I'm just looking to refine the beauty that's there and clear out the the pain and the distortions that are in the way <clears throat> of living that beauty because all of us, all of us just, we're so, we're so gorgeous. You know, it's, we have distortions, we have whatever, you know, we, 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 wherever we are on our evolutionary path, but there's such a core of beauty in the human heart and in the heart of, of all life forms here in the world, as far as I've seen. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I just... I encounter a lot people, you know, really, they deal with a lot of self-hatred and a lot of internal violence, like a violent inner narrative. And, and I'm so familiar with that. And I just really, I, I just really encourage us to remember as well how beautiful we are and that we are, we're beautiful and, and perfect and worthy of love exactly as we are. Mm-hmm. It was just something I could just go on and on and on about for ages, <laughs> but, but that's a sin. Thank you. That's, it's really important. Ah, uh, thank you so much for, for this. Let's, before we close, I'll have you just give one small step that listeners can take in their lives. Oh, one small step, an action step. Yeah, like one small thing breathe, that they can do. Breathe more deeply with your feet on the earth. Mm. That's two steps, but definitely get your bare feet on the earth as often as you can and keep them there. And breathe deeply as often as you can. We generally breathe very unconsciously and very shallow. And the more deeply we can breathe, the more grounded we're going to be. Thank you. That's so perfect. get your bare feet on the earth. Breathe more deeply. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Maitreya. Wow. What a deep and beautiful and wise conversation. I really, really appreciate everything that you shared um, about your own path, your own life and the work you're doing. It feels, it feels just very important right now. And um, yeah, I feel honored to, 
to know you and to have gotten to see you on some of this path and to see you now just really coming into yourself in this very beautiful way. And yeah, I'm just, I'm just great, deeply grateful to have you here and sharing with us. Oh, thank you, my friend. I'm so grateful to be here with you and to be connected with you again. You've always been so comforting for me and you embody joy and brightness and wisdom and brilliance so beautifully. And that's always been a joy for me. So I'm really honored as well to be in the temple of your creation here and to be sharing in this way. Again, thank you for making this space. Oh, yes. And thank you. You're a beautiful path, you're a beautiful way of being in this world. Thank you, dear one. Wow. That was such a deep, beautiful, and profound interview. There's definitely some nuggets of wisdom there that I will be holding close to my heart and keeping with me in these times. Uh, so appreciative of having Maitreya Wolf here with us. And so appreciative to have you here. Thanks for listening. Thanks for being here. Thanks for make, giving me a reason to do this. Uh, I, so I really appreciate everyone who's listening. And if you want to learn more about Maitreya, I'll have all her info in the show notes. Check her out. She is just an incredible being as you can, you can get the gist of from listening to this episode. Okay, friend, I hope you have a wonderful week and I'll be back next week. Hey there. Thanks so much for listening. I'm feeling slightly less awkward, but this podcast thing is still a big learning curve. So I appreciate you staying tuned as I learn. If you are enjoying the podcast, please rate and review. It helps me get seen by people besides my friends. And if you are not enjoying the podcast, I hope you're not still listening because life is way too short to listen to podcasts you don't like.